You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It's Friday, September 15th. I have good news and bad news. One thing of bad news. The bad news is there's a server problem at my office, so I had to stop the work I was doing and leave because I'm basically useless if the server doesn't refresh. The good news is it's Friday and I'm going home because I was going to work for another hour and a half. So hopefully, maybe by the time I get home, the server will work again because I need to do that work. It's budget time. One more piece of good news. Jeff from Slow Driving Florida has come in or come through with a question in the inbox. So we were not going to have a full show today, but now we are. And hopefully tonight I will also upload this show and the two shows from earlier this week, which I just haven't gotten around to doing. I have a lot of stuff to do at home. Big weekend coming up for me, but you didn't you didn't tune in to hear about that, so I'm not going to tell you about it. Let's uh, let's get right into the show. It's a full show for you today. Today's show title is football baptism. Football baptism. I mean, is there anything Bible Belt Southerners like more than football and baptism? I don't think so. Speaking of football, Brother Williams' Alabama pick is Bama 49, UCF 7. That sounds pretty reasonable to me. Uh, I actually, I read on the internet today, rumor is J- Jalen Milrow is not going to start. I won't miss him because he cost us the Texas game, throwing those two really bad interceptions. I mean, he can't help it that his offensive line doesn't protect him, but... Those are not Alabama quarterback throws, and I think uh, Coach Saban is going to go with the transfer from Notre Dame. Maybe he won't throw a million interceptions. And hopefully they'll find something for Jalen Milrow to do. They don't have a good running back. Maybe they can make him a running back. He's big and fast. Bama 49, UCF 7. I don't know what Brother William has against field goals, but he usually doesn't pick them with any. That's That's the Bama pick from Brother William this week. Three home games in a row for Alabama. I don't think they're going to South Florida. They wouldn't go there, would they? As I mentioned, we have a question in the inbox. It's about morning. Morning with a U, not morning as in when you wake up and the sun comes up in the sky. Morning as when you're sad because Alabama lost or your soccer team tied a game they should have won. Ugh. And as always, we have the Bible chapter review. We are finally going to finish Matthew chapter 24 today as we are in verses 45 through 51. And I'm not even on the freeway yet, and it's already trafficy on the little highway. Hopefully I have a good... Oh, by the way, I went one and four in ping pong today. So, things. this is not going my way today with traffic and ping pong, so let's have a... Just have a good show. Now I got to get through this green light before I uh, start 
on the Bible chapter of you. Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 51. Jesus is talking about how no one knows the day of the return of the Lord except the Father. And he's going to give a little parable to bring the point home. And before we get into the parable, you got to remember, go all the way back to the start of the chapter. When will these things occur, the disciple asked. And tell us about when you're going to have your return. They want to know when he's coming back. Matthew is putting this out there for the reader. So the reader and the church, you know, in perpetuity reading this gospel, which would eventually become part of the New Testament. So we all know too. So the reader knows. Who then is the faithful and uh, sensible slave whose master put him in charge of his household to give them food, I'm sorry, to give them their food at the proper time? Who's them? That'd be the members of the household, all the other slaves and servants. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whose master put him in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But the evil slave says in his heart, My master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that slave will come on a day which he does not know, and an hour which he does not know, I'm sorry, a day that he does not expect and an hour that he does not know. And he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So go back to what Jesus said. Of that day and of that hour, no one knows. And here in this parable, which is clearly talking about the return of the Lord Jesus, the return of Christ. He's talking about his return. He's obviously the master in this parable and he says the wicked slave say my master's going to go away and he, but he's going to come back at a day and an hour he doesn't expect so that language means Jesus is clearly referring back to what he said before about the day and the hour nobody knows when it's coming so here's the deal the faithful slave he didn't know when his master was going to return the evil slave He didn't know when his master was going to return. The faithful slave just did what he was supposed to do. He just ran the household. And when his master returned, he was praised for doing well, and he was given more responsibility. Jesus says elsewhere, I think in Luke, when he's talking about the parable of the wicked steward, uh, he who is faithful with uh, little be faithful with much and who's unfaithful with little be faithful with much and here we see this faithful slave who is faithful with little the responsibility he had and when the master comes back he's going to be given more trust and responsibility because he's shown himself worthy now what about the wicked slave in the parable party time instead of taking care of the household he was abusive to the other slaves the ones he's supposed to be feeding and looking after and leading. And then he finds the, the, the dregs of society, drunkards, and he eats and drinks with them. Just lives it up. He says, my master's gone. I'm going to live it up. Well, 
in the end of that and in the end he pays for that because his master comes back he finds him unfaithful he cuts him to pieces and assigns him to a place with the hypocrites who are the hypocrites we know who the hypocrites are because Jesus has been dogging the Pharisees for the last couple chapters. The Pharisees and scribes who don't really believe in him, the people who say they're religious, the people who say they believe in God, the people who say they're the people of God, the Israel of God, but they really don't. They're hypocrites, they're actors, they're phonies. And let me tell you something. If you are not being faithful in, in your Great Commission assignment, then when the Lord Jesus comes back, he's going to find you as the wicked, unfaithful slave. You say you're a Christian. You say you're a servant of God, but you're not really, and you're going to be assigned a place with the hypocrites because that's what you thats what you were. You were just a phony. You were just an actor. So we don't know when the judgment's coming. We just know that it's coming, and we want to be found faithful when our master returns now what is the place of the weeping and gnashing of teeth I think that's quite honestly hell and the people are weeping and gnashing their teeth which means they're in mourning which hey leads perfectly perfect segue into our question in the inbox about mourning do you have a question about Christian theology and apologetics you can write to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. That is SethDunn88 at gmail.com. Or you can do like Jeff from Slow Drive in Florida did. You can dial 470-315-0875 and leave me a voice message, and it will go to my Google Mail. And that's where I got this. So here is Jeff's question. Biblically speaking... How long should we mourn? Like, how long should we mourn? Is there a biblical prescription for how long we should mourn when somebody dies? And there's two parts to this question, and I don't know if he knows there's two parts. Because he, he, he's asking me about, say, a formal process of mourning, and he's also asking about, well, how you should feel. Like, well, how long, how long till you just finally get up out of bed and function? Because sometimes you're so sad you can't wake up in the morning and function. You just, you can't do it because you're so sad. Like, what about that? This is two very different things. So let's tackle the practices of mourning in the Bible. Remember when Joseph died, the Israelites mourned for 30 days and then went back to work. And then in Jesus' time... When somebody would die, there would be a mourning period of seven days. And people would hire professional mourners to come wail at the funeral. Because it's so bad that somebody died. They would rip their clothes as part of it. I am in mourning. Like you, you could see somebody and the way they were dressed told you that person was in mourning. It was a public show and it was for a time. So let's think about that. When, when you are formally mourning and it shows in your dress and you having, uh, you're recognizing a mourning period for a week, what you're doing is showing your respect for the dead. And what the society is doing is showing their respect for the dead. You're recognizing that passing. 
in a formal way. The same way you would recognize something like a wedding or a union through a wedding period. Like back then, people just didn't show up at the church at 12.30 and then go down to the fellowship hall at 2.30 and then everybody goes home and that's the wedding. No, they had like a whole wedding event. It was the same way. It wasn't just show up, say your vows and leave. It would it would be a couple, three days, maybe a week. You might have professional celebrators. So it's a big deal when somebody gets married. It's a big deal when somebody dies. So you have these formal processes that they go through. And yes, those things can't go on forever. You've eventually got to go back to work. Uh, I think... Uh, I think the corporate policy where I work, off the top of my head, I think you get three days off if a member of your immediate family dies. So, is this? I can't remember if this is where I work now, if this is where it's field turf's policy. This is a pretty common policy. If your wife dies, one of your children dies, or your parent or parent-in-law dies, you get two or three days off because they know that you've got formal things to take care of. You've got to go down to the funeral home. You've got to go down to the morgue. You've got to make arrangements. You might have to travel to go to the funeral. You might have to be out of town. You, you've got to go to the lawyer's office. You've got to arrange a date at probate court. You have to settle your loved one's affairs. It, by the way, it's not just about being sad. Because let me tell you something. A lot of times, you know when somebody's about to die. I'm trying to... Who's the last person that I loved that died? That I Okay. Um, the last funeral that I went to, let me make sure this is the last funeral because I don't want to skip a dead loved one. I think the last funeral I went to was, uh, she wasn't actually related to me at all. It was my friend Joe's mother, Charlotte. And Joe's like my big brother. It's my brother's best friend. Those people are like family to us. She died. I didn't get the day off to go to her funeral, by the way. Uh, but when it was going down, we all knew she was going to die. And I left work early one day, and I drove down to Chattanooga to see her before she finally died because she was on her deathbed. My brother flew in to see her on her deathbed. Then we went and did the funeral. and But we all knew like she's about to die. So we'd already started that process of being sad. And there were a lot of tears being shed at the funeral. But we were already sad. But the actual process of going through the funeral and going through the burial, uh, burial hadn't happened yet. And by the way, it didn't stop being sad then. You know, it was sad for a few more days. Her widow, widower is probably still sad. I mean, they were married for 60 years. Something, I, mean, I think 50 or 60. You know, it's, it's awful. But there was a time when, all right, I've, I've got to travel. I've got things to take care of. We're going to go through the formal process of showing up at the church and having the funeral. We're going through the formal process of burying. But, Jeff, we were sad before, and we were sad after. So we see the Bible, because your question is about what, what's biblical about this. We see these various mourning periods in the Bible. Well, why did the Israelites mourn for Moses for 30 days? It's a big deal. Moses was the leader of the nation. He was the judge. He ruled them. He was a prophet and a judge. So he led them out of Egypt. He was their leader. So, of course, they all mourned for 30 days. 
you have a different situation when it's just a ignominious person who's of course important to his family but their mourning period is going to be seven days they're not going to shut everything down for that so people can mourn and people can process and by the way you can't get work done the day your your mom dies or dad dies they're not going to come to work you're going to be useless and they knew that back then like, like we know it now take a couple days and then come back now when you come back are you still going to be torn up yes Which gets to Jeff's second point, like biblically speaking, is there a certain time period that you're supposed to get over it? And then the answer is no, it's different for everybody. Some people can get back to work and get back to life, and some people it's going to stick with them for a long time. Now, psychologically speaking, the... The, I don't know, the psychological industry, if you want to call it, psychiatry. Now, how about this? The mental health profession has actually sat down and come up with, well, how long you're supposed to be mourning. I actually studied this in seminary because a part of pastoral counseling is counseling the bereaved because you're coming alongside that bereaved person in your church. And, you know, a lot of pastors are bereaved too because their church member died. And you're wanting to try and say comforting things to that person. And what you need to be trained to do is to notice who is mourning normatively and who is not mourning normatively. So if your loved one dies and then six months later, you, you, you can still barely get to work and barely get out of bed. Like you have a mental health problem. You're depressed. Like you, you need to get over this. Yes, you're always going to miss your loved one, but you need to get back to work. You need to get back to cleaning your house and shaving. Like, something's wrong with you. So that's why the mental health profession has identified time periods where you need to say, get back to work. And pastors are trained to say, all right, some, this is outside of the psychological norm. I need to refer this person for some more care. Now, what about us as Christians? We mourn, but we don't mourn as those who, who have no hope. We, we can take joy, solace, and whatever else you want to say as far as good things. Take comfort when someone dies that we know is a Christian. Because when I went to Charlotte's funeral, we all knew that Charlotte was a believer. And she loved Jesus and that she was no longer in any pain from uh, the illness that caused her to die. And she was with her Savior. And now we're going to see her again one day when we all get to heaven. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there looking for a city. There the blessed millions never say goodbye. All right, We can look forward to that. And we know that she lived her life glorifying God. So as Christians, when we have another Christian die, we don't mourn. We mourn, but we don't mourn as those who have no hope. And eventually, we need to look at it this way, since there's no official mourning period in Scripture. It's we have responsibilities as a Christian to our families, to our employers, to our fellow church members, and we need to fulfill those. So yeah, your loved one died, and your friends are going to bring you meals to your house for a week. 
because they don't want you. Well, why, why when you have a tragedy, or why 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 do people bring you food? Because they don't want you worrying about. You got other stuff to worry about. Really, it, it, I, I would say this: after you've had the time to put your deceased loved one loved one's affairs in order, that's when you need to get back to your daily routine of work and recreation and socialization and whatever else. Does that mean you're over it? Does that mean you're not sad? No. But you, you've got to go on because you're still on this earth and you still have work to do. So can I find an official mourning period in the Bible? It's three days, four days, five days. What, what, I mean, what's right? The ancient Israelites doing seven days? Or uh, my work giving me three days? The, the principle is the same. There's a formal period where you need to put your work aside. You need to put, the, put, the, put your loved one's affairs in order. You need to travel. You need to be with your family. You need to, you need to be comforted. And, and the other Christians and other people in society have the privilege and joy of comforting you because you get to say, well, this is who I have left. But then it's time to go back to work. Then it's time to go back to life. So what I think what you need to do, Jeff, is separate the feeling of mourning or the feeling of sadness, even extreme sadness to the point of being despondent, from the formal process of mourning. The formal process of mourning is taking the days off of work, going to the funeral, going to the graveside, arranging things with the estate lawyer, going to a wake, hanging out with your family, telling stories. You know, wearing black if that's what you want to do. Used to people tore their clothes. Today we wear black. I'm in mourning. I think back in the day when a woman, uh, when a woman's husband died, she's like, all right, she's in mourning. She's wearing black. And all right, now she's not wearing black anymore. Somebody can go court her because this woman needs to get married to be supported. That's, that's a society thing, not a Bible thing. I don't think we do that anymore in Western society. By the way, it's to say, think of it like a wedding. I think this could make a good example. You, you have a wedding week, man. You have a bachelor party with all your friends, and we're Christians, so we're not going to go to the strip joint. My bachelor outing was to go to the Alabama-Clemson game. I think it was the inaugural Chick-fil-A college kickoff. I'm with my brother and my dad my friend Joey McNutt. So it was to go to, uh, to that game with them. Alabama won. I think they uh, was, they went had an undefeated regular season that year. As the debut of Terrence Cody, they weren't supposed to beat Clemson. That's probably the game that got uh, what's his what's his name? It's not uh, one of the Bowden brothers, Tommy Bowden. I think that's why I got Tommy Bowden fired because he was supposed to have a good season. The next day, I got married. Okay, so I, we we went to Tabernacle Baptist Church. We had the wedding that we had planned on. Then we went to Cartersville Civic Center. We had a reception. We had a DJ. We had food. Then I got in the car with my wife, my 
friends had vandalized my car and some of the shoe polish was on it till the day I sold that car or traded it in. And then we went on our honeymoon. We took we just took a short trip to Chattanooga because we, we wanted to go to Glacier National Park for our honeymoon and in September it was too cold, so we went later. Alright? So it was a great day. Oh no traffic. What's going on? Alright, I'm out of here. Hold on a second. I gotta I gotta hit the navigating but navigation button. There is a some kind of wreck or traffic. Navigate home. Hold on a second. Now I'm going to forget what I was talking about. Somebody's Friday is ruined. Luckily, I'm here at the uh, Daresville exit. And, ooh, I, I just did make it. Oh, I'm supposed to go left? Okay. Alright. Uh, this is a weird way to go home. I don't know if I've ever, been go I've ever gone home this way. Let me over, let me over, let me over. Okay. Alright, I got the... Alright, okay. Thank you. Thank you, navigation lady. We're going to turn the volume down. Alright. I think this is the only podcast out there where the show has to be stopped because there's traffic and the, the host has to drive home a different way. Alright, let me see here. What was I talking about? Formal process of mourning. Well, Jeff, I think I was... I was, I, was I through answering? Oh, no, my tire pressure monitoring system is on. I think that's a false positive. Oh, yeah, wedding. Yeah, yeah, wedding, wedding. Okay, so... I remember how happy I was walking... Like, after I walked... Not walking down the aisle, but I'd gotten married. And I was walking down the aisle, out the door of the church. And I was married to my wife... And I was super happy. And I, I can tell you, the last, don't tell my wife, my wife doesn't listen to this show, so who cares. But don't tell her, the, <laughs> the last time I felt that elated and 100% joyful was when my soccer team went undefeated last season. Like, I was, huge celebration. That and having kids. Obviously, having kids and being married is more important. But in the feeling, there's that. So, I, the, the, the formal wedding process is over. And it's been over for... My anniversary was this month. I think I've been married 15 years. It's been over for 15 years, the wedding has. But I, I don't not love my wife anymore. Like, I still love my wife. I'm always going to love my wife. It's sort of the same thing when someone dies. I'm always going to be sad that that person's gone. I'm going to miss that person. I'm going to wish I could see that person again. Whenever strawberry season comes around, I'm going to be sad that I'm not there to have... Uh, I'm not ever going to get another strawberry preserve from Charlotte. She made strawberry preserves and they were the best in the world. I'm never going to have another biscuit with our strawberry preserves on it. I'm never going to go to Chattanooga and, and go to their house. She's never going to give me another piece of gum. Charlotte gave me the first piece of gum I ever had. She always carried Wrigley Spearmint gum in her purse. And when she'd come over to our house when I was a little kid, she'd always give me a piece of gum. 
Like I can go, I can go get Wrigley Spearmint gum at the store. It costs fifty cents. Who cares? But like, I'm never going to get any from Charlotte, and that makes it special. So all of her loved ones are going to go about their days, but they're always going to miss her. So Jeff, there is a formal, reasonable mourning period to take care of the affairs of the deceased, but then you've got to get back to it. Even though on the inside, you could always feel bad. There's no, I'll tell you this, there's no biblical uh, prescription to tell somebody, hey, stop being sad about this. Now, we know the Bible tells us not to be anxious about things. And the uh, fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, kindness, patience, joy. So we're supposed to have a Christian joy that's wrapped up in our blessed hope, especially since we do not mourn as those who have no hope. And listen, we have people who die and we know they go to hell. And we have to sit back and say, that's God's justice. I wish they didn't go to hell. But I serve the God who predestined him to go there, ultimately. Okay. So interesting question, Jeff, and I just think what you need to do is separate the feeling from the formal process. All right, now let's talk about football baptism. This happens from time to time. You'll see a football player at camp or at the end of practice one week get baptized. Maybe they baptize him in the ice bathtub and it's, oh, so-and-so got baptized at practice. And people are like, yay! And I always see that and I'm like, well... So Brother William, when he sent me this week's Alabama pick, also sent me an article from AL.com, which is the Alabama news outlet. I read AL.com a lot because they cover Alabama football. And Auburn's new coach, Hugh Freeze, you may remember him from being the head football coach at Ole Miss who got fired for calling prostitutes on his work phone. You may remember him from, from being the head coach of Liberty University's football team who got their football team started and made that into a successful program. And if you were an Auburn fan, you were happy to get Hugh Freeze after y'all fired Gus Malzahn because Hugh Freeze, unlike any other coach, except I think Kirby Smart, in the SEC has beaten Nick Saban twice. Nick's, uh, so Hugh Freeze has shown that he can put an offense together that can beat Nick Saban. Can you believe it? He did. So, which is, before I get into the whole football baptism thing, I'm going to be like, in what other industry can you get fired for moral turpitude and then end up getting a better job in your same uh, same industry. That's what happened to Hugh Freeze. Because in my opinion, Ole Miss is not as good of a job as Auburn. Auburn's a better job than Ole Miss. So the best SEC job, uh, football anyway, the best football job in the SEC is obviously Alabama. And then behind that, you're going to have... Florida, Georgia, even though Florida's down right now. You're Florida and Georgia. Georgia didn't used to be one of the best jobs. It is now. Florida, Georgia, maybe LSU, Auburn, Tennessee. And then a notch down would be Ole Miss. So Hugh Freeze probably could have gotten this job had he never called prostitutes on his work phone. Eventually could have left Ole Miss for 
the greener pastures of Auburn. And yes, we know Auburn has greener pastures because it's a cow college. And so much for my shortcut home to beat the traffic. I'm behind like a 1950 powder blue Cadillac. And this guy is going 30 miles an hour down the country road. But you know what? I guess I'll sit back, relax, and go 30 miles an hour with him. I wasn't planning to be home at this time anyway. So, Hugh Freeze has... By, he, by the way, this is a good thing. He's repented of his sin. I think Hugh Freeze is a... I'm going to die here. This is ill-advised. I got a passing lane. Don't honk at me. What a jerk. I got the passing lane. What a jerk. So, I got the dotted line to pass. So, I passed the guy. It was probably a close call because there was a curve coming up, but I thought I could make it, and I did. And went by him, and he's honking at me. Like, dude, you're going 30 miles an hour. Like, why are you honking at me? I'm just passing you. I'm not bothering you. Ugh, some people. Anyway, Hugh Freeze, Baptist. A lot of these SEC football coaches here in the Deep South are evangelical guys. They're church-going guys. So Hugh Freeze repented of his sin of calling the hookers. And he's back in a relationship with God, as far as I know. I'm not condemning him for that. It's not my place. I'm just telling you, I think the guy's a Baptist. So Auburn had this, not the University of Auburn, but people around Auburn rented out their basketball center and had this event called Unite Auburn. And they brought a couple preachers in there. They brought a pastor from Texas I'd never heard of. They brought some woman author I'd never heard of, Jenny Allen, don't know much about her other than she speaks at Passion. You know, I'm not a Passion fan. They brought in Passion music, which is like, okay, that's bad. But what did they do? They brought in a Christian band and a couple speakers and filled the basketball arena and talked about how great Jesus was. Okay, good. You've got an arena full of people coming to hear the gospel proclaimed. I figure that's what they did. I have no idea what their talks and sermons were about. No idea. I didn't listen to them. All I know is it's this Christian event that filled out the basketball arena. And we should be happy that that's, um, that's happening anywhere. I, would I prefer it be somebody other than passion music? Of course. But that ain't what happened. Okay? That ain't what happened. So, after this, all of a sudden, there were spontaneous baptisms. All these people left this arena and went down to some pond on campus, and people started getting baptized. And I guess we, we can presume that the people at this conference or at this event at the basketball arena started making professions of faith and then went down to get baptized. And what made the AL.com news is there was a safety for Auburn. Does everybody know what a safety is? A safety is a defensive back who covers the pass and supports the run. That's what a safety does. Strong safety supports the run. Free safety supports the cornerbacks in providing pass coverage. All right, It's one of the guys standing at the back. And there was a freshman safety at Auburn who got baptized during this event. And not only did he get baptized, but Hugh Freeze baptized him. So his football coach baptized him. And people are going to read this and they're going to say, okay, great. Now, I don't want to be, I don't want to be negative and I don't want to be like the, the brother of the prodigal son who's, oh, this wasn't done right. All right, so remember the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son leaves, disrespects his family and his father. He comes back 
and the father celebrates his son's return, throws him a party. And his son, who had always respected him and been there, he's like, well, you never throw me a party for anything. And, you know, this, this scoundrel's back, and he's like, you don't get it, son. You've always been with me, but I had lost a son, and now he's back. And Jesus is making a point that heaven's celebrating when somebody gets saved, so we should too, when somebody's returned from the faith, returned to the faith. Okay? It's cause for celebration. So even though that I, I don't want to say I'm skeptical about passion music and Jenny Allen, I'm downright opposed to them, but people are trying. These people are out there trying to have this Christian event. I mean, they weren't selling tickets to it. It was free. Somebody's out there donating their money to try to get the gospel to these kids. Good. People are proclaiming faith in Christ. Good. That's just that's awesome. I missed my turn. Does this thing even know where I am? I'm so lost right now. Is this thing sending me home? I think it's sending me home. Oh, let me just turn around here. The Community House of Prayer. I bet that's an interesting place to go to church on Sunday. I'm out in the middle of... I don't even know where I am right now. All I know is I missed my turn. Boy, I really missed it. So I am certainly not complaining about people making a profession of faith at some event on campus. I'm, I'm, glad, they, I'm glad they had it. I'm glad they did it. But baptism is a church ordinance. So how many of these people are going to go to this Christian conference, make this or Christian event, make this profession, get baptized in the lake by the football coach, and then they don't they don't become a part of a church family. And here's the issue, because people are going to celebrate this. They're going to read this, all these Bible Belt people, and they're going to say, oh, this is spectacular. Oh, this is great. Baptism is a church ordinance. It comes through in the Great Commission. Baptism is a church ordinance. Let me say that again. It should be something the church is doing. So your football coach, even though he sort of cares about you like a pastor does, he knows your family, he went to your mama's house to get you to come on scholarship, he knows, he cares about you, etc., etc. But... Your football coach is not, he's not a church member. He's not a minister of your church or the church you'd be joining through baptism. These people shouldn't be out there doing a church ordinance. If somebody makes a profession of faith, they need to say, okay, well, the next step is baptism. Here's the list of churches we have. Let me connect you with one so that we can arrange a baptism for you. So that the church can talk to you about your profession of faith, so they can see it's legitimate, and then you can get baptized. You might even want to invite your family to come. We should not be celebrating the misapplication of church ordinances. And think about it this way. How would, how would people react if they handed out communion? What if they said, oh, we're having a wonderful time of revival. Everybody, hold on a minute. We ordered crackers and grape juice. We're about to have communion. Somebody will hold on. The church is supposed to be the one that hands out communion. This isn't a gathering of the church. 
there's no pastors deacons here what's these people all these people might not be worthy to take what's going on here and we should feel the same way about baptism because it's a church ordinance now there might be somebody out there saying well hold on a minute what about the Ethiopian eunuch who said why should I not be baptized and Philip baptized him right then why are you putting rules on people Seth all I'm saying is if you're a Christian you need to go to you it's probably in your church bylaws there's no such thing as church bylaws in the Bible you need to go ask like what a what is our policy on baptism why do we baptize a certain way because we need to understand that baptism is not some you know split second decision some decision that we you know just kind of make because we're in the moment that we gotta we we're just it's sort of impulsive because it feels good at the time baptism is a public identification of our commitment and our identification with Christ and there's a reason we call it a church ordinance so somebody like Hugh Freeze who's a Baptist as much as you love your player and come on coaches out there who do you love more than your players Jesus and you're like oh my player wants to come to Jesus needs to say hey bud Let's arrange this at church. Let's do this the right way. I know you're excited. I'm excited for you too. But let's let church ordinances be at the church. So before we get on Facebook sharing all these articles out there, oh, baptized, baptized is so great. And this is where we're kind of in trouble. It's because people are like, hey, great baptism. Like, don't you don't, if you're celebrating these baptisms, like, you don't know what baptism is. And you don't know what a church ordinance is. We take it a lot more serious, or at least we used to. I don't know if I've told this story. I think I've mentioned this before. Because I got lost on this country road. Country road! At my feet know where they want me to go Walking on a country road Country road Take me home To the place I belong Alright, that's all the country road songs I know It's not really a red dirt road So I won't sing that one There is a place Camp Windshape in Rome, Georgia. They built it with Chick-fil-A money. And they have camps for kids and they have marriage retreats. And people in these broken marriages and terrible marriages go there. You know, these people on the brink of divorce, they go to these retreats. Well, first of all, people on the brink of divorce go to these retreats and then like the all the people who they advertise it to it at church and say how great it is to go. There's a bunch of people who go. They don't need to go on a marriage retreat. They're just going because somebody at church told them to. But really, truly, and seriously, people who's, I mean, they're on the verge of divorce. They don't know where else to go, and they go to Camp Windshape. They get they get they get apart from their away from their lives. They focus on each other. They focus on their marriage, and their relationship starts to heal. And that is awesome. That's just super. 
But Camp Wimshape, Camp Wimshape, ah, Camp Windshape is not a church. But they baptize these people. Like, here's your renewed commitment. We're going to baptize you. Like, no, stop that. That's that's a church ordinance. Guys, what does church even mean to you? So we should celebrate, Christians, we should celebrate people coming to faith in Christ. We should celebrate when somebody gets baptized. That I get it. I love it when it's baptism baptism day at church. I'm sitting there, I'm like, where's the pastor? Oh no, he's in the baptistry. Heck yeah, baptism. Yay! This is, we're Baptists. This is what we're trying to do. Somebody's professing Christ. We're carrying out a church ordinance. I love it. We should celebrate professions. We should celebrate baptism. But guys, we should not celebrate when it's not done right. When church ordinances are not respected. I'm driving through all kind of churches out here. The church I just passed, I'm pretty sure a mason goes there. <laughs> What's his name? Alton K. Alton K., former worshipful master of Cartersville Lodge 69. I'm almost certainly, almost certain he goes to Gateway Church. Pastor Sammy Burgess. Alton K. left Rolling Springs while I was there. The other Masons remain. Okay. That's, that's what I got to say about baptism, guy. I tried to do it the best I could without being sort of a downer or a naysayer. Oh, you, yeah, but you didn't do it right. Like, what, what if what if somebody, like some general came in and he won the war? I'm like, oh, yeah, well, you didn't march right. You were supposed to march head on. You won it with guerrilla tactics. You didn't You didn't do it formally. You, you disobeyed orders to win the battle. You know, like, no, thank you for winning the war, general. I ain't the guy who fronted all my money to share the gospel with these kids and didn't ask for a dime. Somebody else did. Good for them. But guys, let's insist as Christians on doing things the right way. If you don't think that's important, read the Old Testament and all the specific instructions on how to do worship the right way. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll get home. I know where I am now. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again on Tuesday. Lord willing, I'll upload these. Lord willing, my soccer team will win. If we win Saturday, we'll have been undefeated for a whole year. As always, God bless. And as always, remember, Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved. All right. Turn this off. The navigation lady was on the other phone. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.